Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are ready. Are you ready? We are ready. Pastor Henji just said those words, we are ready. And I can't imagine a more apt description of the church on the day of Pentecost. It's the bumper sticker of the church. We are ready. Why? Why are we ready? What are we waiting for? In Acts chapter 1, when the disciples watched Jesus ascend into the sky, suddenly two men clothed all in white clothing say to them, why are you looking up into the heavens? This Jesus who just left by going up into the sky will return to you in the same way. I have a writing about that that's called, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for, you men and women of Christ? Jesus has gone to the right hand of the Father. Jesus has given you a mission, a commission with him. What are you waiting for? And yet, they are waiting for something. They are ready for something. And so I say to you, we are ready, but I ask you the question, what are we waiting for? I want you to pose that question to yourself right now, you at home, branded into your mind with a big fat question mark at the end. What are you waiting for? Because you know what? The answer to that question is the answer to another question. What are you living for? Why are you here? Why are you alive today? You are alive today. It might come as news to you. Surprise, you're alive. If you're hearing this message, I take it on faith that you're alive. You know, we laugh, but that's precious. You won't always be drawing breath on this earth. In less than a week, I'm going to lead the memorial service for my father. He is not breathing on planet earth anymore. It's not easy for me to think of that, but it's true. And someday it'll be true of me. But today... Do this with me. You're breathing. Why? What are you breathing for? What are you living for? To get money? To do what? You're going to take it with you? To get glory? To get power? To get girls? To get guys? To get high? I don't just mean with pot. How about high in the hierarchy of your corporation? I remember years ago, my parents, I shouldn't probably name it, but it was Amway. I don't even know if Amway is still around anymore. No offense to Amway. There were these audio cassettes. For those of you too young to realize what an audio cassette is, you can look it up online. You can Google it, yeah. That's old hat Google, by the way. I just want to let you know. Um, and, and, and the guy on the uh, audio cassettes would be talking about how to rise in the hierarchy of Amway. You got to sell and you got to enlist people. It sounds a little bit frighteningly like the church. 
And he would say, you don't, you don't have the right attitude. You've got to recognize, I need a Cadillac. Not just, I want a Cadillac. I need a Cadillac. I'm living for that, to be triple diamond and have a Cadillac and whatever, you know. And that was what people were supposed to be living for. But I'll tell you what, Cadillac can't take you where you need to go. Nothing against Cadillac, nothing against Amway, nothing against you. But what are you living and breathing for? That's what you're waiting for. That's what you'll be ready for. That's what you're worshiping. Worship is a reality for all people. Everybody worships. The question is not whether you will live a spiritual life or not. The question is, what is the spirit of your life? Who or what are you living for? This is a believer's meeting, and most everyone in the room, perhaps everyone, is a believer. If you're not, you are most welcome, and the meeting is intended for you too. But I just want to remind those of us who have made a declaration of faith in Jesus Christ, who have said, we are living for Christ, that the question comes to us today as well. If you are living for Christ, are you waiting for him? Are you ready for him? And for him to do what? The promise of the Father was, I will empower you by my presence. I will come and dwell with you. When God comes close in the scriptures, what do we see? Fire. The fire of God's presence. It's power. It's energy. Holiness. Some things are purified in fire and other things are consumed by it. Non-durable things ignite and burn up in the fire. You bring straw or charcoal into the presence of fire and it's going to burn. But you put gold or metal into the presence of fire and it's going to be refined. Right? So everyone coming into the presence of God is coming into the presence of a holy fire. Are you ready? Because you see, if we are saying, Lord, come with your presence, but we aren't ready, if our lives are built upon things of straw and hay and wood and coal, then God's presence is going to burn up the things of our lives. No wonder that when God came on his holy mountain to meet with his people Israel on the day that actually is celebrated in Pentecost, and we'll talk about what Pentecost is in just a moment, no wonder that he said to them, stand back and make barriers and boundaries around the mountain because I am going to come in my presence onto this mountain. Smoke, fire, thunder, lightning, power, presence, purity, and anything that is not holy will not be able to sustain in my presence. Because God doesn't change who he is. He wants to change who you are. He wants to convert you from someone who is living for temporary things that are going to pass away into someone who is ready for eternity. And that doesn't just mean I'm ready for some kind of everlasting tropical vacation. Listen, I just came back from the tropics. It rains. 
It's true. Rain is good. God wants to rain down his fire on you, but he doesn't want you to be destroyed by it. And there are certain things that are going to be consumed in the presence of God. And what the Lord has said is, if you build your life out of those things, then there is coming for you a day of reckoning. But if you will turn from those things to me, I will turn you into eternal people who are like me so that my presence will be in your midst a glorious, glowing fire of power and purity and passion. We don't get ready for God by bringing him our enthusiasm. There's enthusiasm in the room, and I love it, and it's great, but God isn't really looking for your enthusiasm today. He's looking to give you his. Because the enthusiasm of God, it goes far beyond that. It is passion. It is love. Love lights the world. Love conquers all. Not love the way the world thinks about it or talks about it. Love that is God. God that is love. The powerful, penetrating, sacrificing, committing, covenanting, purifying presence of God. He wants to give that to you, but are you ready? Because when he comes in like that, he comes in like a fire. He comes in like a rushing wind. He comes in like a flood. He doesn't come in half measure. He comes to take over. <laughs> Are you ready for that? Are you ready for God to take over your decisions? Are you ready for God to take over your relations? your finances, your plans, all of your purpose, but he won't come in and commandeer it like some kind of despot. What he wants is for you to offer all of those things to him, and what he will do is bring the fire of his presence to them. And that which can sustain will be purified, and that which is not of him will be consumed. And you will be better for it. But it's not just about you. Today we celebrate the birthday of the church. Turn to somebody next to you and say, Happy birthday, church. Happy birthday, church. <laughs> Pentecost Sunday was a day in the ancient traditions of Israel commemorating God doing two things. One, fulfilling part of the annual cycle of harvest. So it, it, it affirms once again, God is our source. God is our provision. Everything that we reap from the ground comes only because of him. He's the one who gave the seed. He's the one who made the soil. He's the one who gives his spirit. We live and move and have our being because of him. Why are you alive today? Because God made you. And he made you to be alive today. So today is the day to press into him and find out why does he want you to breathe? What does he want you to do? What are his dreams and visions and plans and purposes for you? Together, as well as individually. Pentecost commemorates that God gives the provision, and Pentecost commemorates that God in his presence gives his word. 
When he came to the nation of Israel following the Exodus on Mount Sinai, he not only came to be present with them, but to guide them. And how would he guide them? A pillar of fire at night, which was a pillar of smoke or cloud in the day, so that whether day or night, God was guiding them, insulating them, protecting them, leading them, lighting their way. And he gave them the Decalogue, his 10 words. He gave them guidance on how to live. And the very first thing was, I'm God above anything and everything else. Put me first. Jesus put it in these terms. Seek first the kingdom of God and then everything else will be added unto you. Amen. Amen. So we're ready for the kingdom of God. We're ready for the presence of God. You know, I said that God isn't looking for your enthusiasm today. I don't mean to dampen your enthusiasm. What I want to focus us on is that God is asking us for our hunger. God is asking us for our honest openness to him. What God wants from you today is simply nothing other than yourself. God wants to grip you in his hot, holy hand and light you up with his passion and ignite you with his revelation and guide you by his word. He proved that to his people Israel. And so on Pentecost every year, they would remember that. It was one of the three times a year that people from all over the world were called to go to Jerusalem, to go to the temple, and to commemorate the reality of God's presence and to seek it once again and to celebrate the, God, the, the reality of God's provision and to praise him for it once again and to remind themselves of the primacy of God and his word. And it was on that day that the church would be born just a matter of weeks after Jesus' death and resurrection, when there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind and flame filled the room and tongues of fire over the head of every single individual. You see what a beautiful image is there. This real event that really happened that shows that every single unique individual is precious to God. But this didn't happen when they were all going about doing their own things. It happened when they were in one place, in one accord, together, worshiping in unity, expecting what was promised. They were waiting for the promise of the Father. You have to know God's word in order to know what he has promised. In other words, if you don't know what God's word is, you don't know what you're living for. But God knows and in the fire and the light of his presence, what you'll see is you are living for things that are beneath you and not worthy of you. Drenching yourself in those things which extinguish the possibility of God's purity being fully realized in your own soul. We are often far too unaware of how deeply infiltrated we are by the spirit of the world and the things of the flesh which so appeal to us and yet are so completely contrary to God. But what the disciples of the early church had realized 
in those six weeks or so since Jesus had died on the cross and been living with them in resurrection was that they did not desire anything greater than the presence of God. That their whole lives had been reconfigured to center on God. And that's the only way to go. That's not Amway, that's his way. (laughs) And it's the only way to ever know what you were made for. And that way has a name, and his name is Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the presence of the Father except by coming through me. And what that means is, in Jesus, you can learn who you really are. There's going to be a lot of information in today's message. I want to remind you, you can get the slides on the website. They're there now. You can download them. So you can look at some of that information later. But information is sort of like a bridge It's not the destination, it's just a mechanism for getting you to that destination, and especially helping bridge over things that might hinder you from getting there. But what God is really interested in for you and I today is transformation. The information will be helpful to that end by His grace, but I don't want you to try and fixate too much on the information. I primarily want you to open to the transformation of God. Just lift your hands in front of you. Even you at home or watching this recording, do this, be bold, why not? Feel silly for a moment. Lift your hands and say, Lord Jesus Christ, I invite your transforming presence, your purifying fire, your Holy Spirit. Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit today. Anyone who prays that prayer, you can lower your hands, and really means it, God will do it. Believe and receive. Turn to the person on the other side of you and say, believe and receive. Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And we saw in the message that I brought two weeks ago as he walked with disciples who had known him in his life but didn't recognize him in his resurrection that he opened their minds to the scriptures. There's a reason why I want to tie that message to this one. It's because without the resurrection of Christ, without the death and resurrection of Christ, there's no possibility for you and I to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Even when God came and dwelt with his people on that mountain and thousands and thousands of people heard his audible voice from the sky, still... They did not have the opportunity at that moment that you and I have in this one, which is to receive that Holy Spirit within us and also to be empowered by that Holy Spirit to live according to his ways. The readiness of Pentecost is the willingness to believe that God does what he says he will do. And I am here to say to you today, with all authority on heaven and earth, God does what he says he will do. Now God said this, in this place, I have set myself to do a work 
in this place, and I will surely do it. Amen. You want to see these seats filled? Fine. They can be filled. But of what worth is it for these seats to be filled if the people that are in them are not filled? What God wants is to see you and I filled. Amen. One person filled to overflowing with his spirit is worth more than all of these seats filled with butts that are of people who are full of butts themselves. But God, I can't. But God, you don't. But God, wait. Put away the butts and open up the hearts. I don't know, was that profane? <laughs> I believe it's a holy message. God said, I will set myself to do a work in this place. He said that to me in March of 2016 as we worshiped in this very sanctuary. But it took years for him to develop in me the understanding that this place is not this building. It's this heart. Put your hand over your heart. Hear the voice of the Lord. Is it arrogant for me to say that? No. If I'm not here as his messenger, then what am I here for? But if God says I will speak, then let God speak. God says this. I have set myself to do a work in this place. And I will surely do it. Are you ready? Jesus said, you're not ready, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's what he said. When James and John said, can we sit at your right hand and your left? And he said, are you ready to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Are you ready to be baptized in the fire that I'm going to be baptized? And they said, yes. And he said, you're not ready, but you will. And that's what he's saying to us today. I'm not ready, you're not ready, but we're ready to be ready. Amen. You can't imagine what God will pour out. But what you can do is believe that he will do what he says he will do. Lord, we're opening our hearts to you this morning. And we're asking you to do what you desire to do in us. Amen. He was a man with a vision. And it seemed like the impossible. In an era of railroads, he wanted to build a railroad over the waves. He wanted to send a train where trains couldn't go. Many here were born in an island nation of archipelagos. And that's what the Florida Keys are. Pastor Hazel and I just returned from being in Florida for our international convention. We are a part of the Foursquare Gospel Church, and we were gathered there, and we took some time to go down into the Florida Keys. We chose a time when there was a tropical storm warning. Great timing, huh? <laughs> we had a great time. We learned everywhere we went, especially in South Florida, about Henry Flagler. He was a man who built a railroad to the Keys, this string of little islands that goes down into the Caribbean Sea off of the tip of the Florida Peninsula, a beautiful paradise location, but especially in that era, so extraordinarily difficult to achieve such an engineering feat that as he went about doing it and all the extraordinary expensive investment that was requ required, it came to be known as Flagler's Folly. But, surprise, he did it. He built it. And it sustained for many years. 
But in the 1930s, there was a devastating hurricane that wiped through the Florida Keys and wiped out many portions of that railroad. Now, the legacy of what Flagler created lives on because that railroad, even when it was washed out, nevertheless provided the, the backbone, the spine, for what is today called the Overseas Highway, Highway 1, that runs all the way to Key West, the southernmost point of the continental United States. But there are still portions of Flagler's Railroad that run parallel to the highway. It's not part of the highway, where you can see entire sections of that bridge just gapped, just missing. They were washed out, wiped out, and they were never repaired. And we were looking at it and thinking, what would be the um, effect of coming up suddenly on that? If you, you know, because you can see people walking on it, and you can see people riding bikes on it. And we thought, boy, that that would be a shock, wouldn't it? All of a sudden, you come to that place where there's the gap. I thought about this, and it made me think of the law in the Old Testament: a bridge to get people to a destination that God was calling them to. But the storms of life come and the sins of life mount up and they wipe out those rules and leave gaps. And in the Holy Spirit, what Jesus is doing is saying not simply I'm going to repair those gaps, but behold, I'm going to show you a new and better way, a living way. Too many of us are looking for Jesus to fill the gaps in the bridges of our lives. And we say, that gap is still there and Jesus never filled it. How come God doesn't get me from point A to point C? There's still this gap in point B. And God says, I want you to go the Z way. I've got a new way. It's the way of the Spirit. The patience of Pentecost is built upon this idea that God has a better way, but it runs contrary to our expectations, even though it runs parallel with his plan from the very beginning. In other words, God hasn't changed, but God wants to do more than just repair areas of breach in your life. He wants to transform your soul. The early church realized this when they recognized what really happened on the cross. They recognized this in the teaching of the resurrected Christ. And so they were prepared that day. They were ready for the Holy Spirit's fire to fall because they had been promised that fulfillment. Even though they didn't know when that was going to come or how or maybe even why, what they knew was God said it, he will do it. So they were waiting patiently. And that means they had a purpose. You see, they knew what they were waiting for. You came to them in those early days and said, what are you waiting for? They would say, we are waiting for the promise of the Father. We are waiting for the baptism in fire. We are waiting for this signal. We are waiting for the equipping that we have been promised will come to us. And we're not waiting by just sitting around doing nothing. We are constantly in prayer. Constantly in prayer. We are actively engaged in worship. And this kind of worship is not just the singing of songs, which is beautiful and important and revelatory. It's about a life given over to the focus of God. They were together in one spirit, worshiping God's presence, inviting God's presence. You say, well, God is always present. Yes, God is always present. 
but we aren't always paying attention. Worship does not so much bring God to us as turn us to God. Remember when the very first couple were cast out of paradise because they turned away from God and to their own will, which had been influenced by the spirit of the world, which is Satan, that old serpent of the garden. And God put an angel of fire with a flaming sword to guard the garden, the cherubim, with a sword that turns in every direction. The Hebrew word for spinning or turning there is the word for repentance. It means turning back to God. People had turned away from God. That's where the banishment came from. People fleeing away from God. And God said, the way back to me is to turn to me and come to my fire. But if you come to the fire of my presence without any repentance in your heart, that fire is going to burn you. But if you come to my presence ready to receive what I have for you, then it's like Moses in Exodus 3. Here's a bush and it's burning, but it is not consumed. And Moses turned towards it. That's what the text says. He turned to see the bush that was burning, but was not consumed. It was growing in the fire. It was thriving in the fire. To worship the Lord's presence, to yield to the Lord's purity, and to invite the Lord's purpose. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy. God said to Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth in me, in this place, as it is in heaven. The early church was worshiping in spirit and in truth. They had a spirit of repentance of humility and release. Our lives are not our own. Do with us what you want. We are submitted to you and to one another. I want to say this, you cannot experience the fullness of God if you are not ready to embrace the fullness of his people. Anyone who thinks that by isolating from the body, you can be connected to the Father, has completely misunderstood that the body is the body of Christ. And Christ said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So the people around you are the people who will help you to connect with Christ and the Father and vice versa. That's why when we partake of this table in a few minutes, we do it together. That's why we have on these first Sundays of the month, our communion Sundays, a dedication now to do it as one service. So that we remember that we are united. The patience of Pentecost is built upon these dedicated stances in their lives and ours. Wait for the promise of the Father. Worship in the spirit of purpose and patience and welcome the day of the Lord. We're going to take you through these and we'll talk about the day of the Lord more in just a moment. First, I want to take you back to Luke 24. Remember in the message from two weeks ago, Jesus was saying to them, why are you troubled? Why are you distressed? It was as though they had come to that place of gap in the bridge. They had come to the place where there was no way forward. Christ died on the cross and they thought he was dead and they thought that was the death of all of their plans and purposes as well. And they were standing there at the gap and here comes Jesus on the road and says, why are you troubled? There's a road right here and it's me. 
Turn to me and live in me and receive my peace. Peace be to you, he said. Then he opened their minds to the scripture. Remember, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus opened the minds of the disciples to the scripture. Here is where I want to tap back into that notion that I shared with you a few minutes ago, that there's a difference between information and transformation. Information is important, but transformation is a step beyond. These disciples had received all the information of the scriptures that you and I have in the Gospels leading up to the death of Jesus. They had heard the Sermon on the Mount. They had heard the Sermon on the Plain. They had seen the miracles. They had not only seen but fed the 5,000 and more in multiple occasions themselves. They had eaten of that bread and of that fish. They had seen Jesus walk on the waves. In the case of Peter, he had walked on the water himself. But it was all information or if not all, then much of it remained at the level of information for them. But now, in the resurrection, transformation, revelation, Jesus opened their minds to understand the scriptures. How did he do that? Because he's God. Who is God? The Spirit. I open your minds to understand the scriptures in the Spirit of God. Yet not I, but the Spirit in me. Be opened, Ephratha. Do you remember Jesus said that? Be opened. Be opened. He breathed on them. Receive the Spirit. Receive the Spirit. He told them what the message was. Repentance for forgiveness of sins. You see how repentance is the first turn? It's the ignition point. We're not about that. Brothers and sisters, dear friends, beloved. <laughs> when you have that many greetings in one, you know something's coming. <laughs> we have sins to repent of. Somebody says, well, Pastor Court, our sins are forgiven. Yes, they are but they remain as gaps in the bridges of your life until you invite the fullness of the Holy Spirit. But if you live in that place of gap, if you camp out there, if you keep going towards the cliff and just say, Jesus is going to be the bridge that leads me over this, the scripture is very clear. If you dedicate your life to sin, then you are turning away from the crucifixion and the forgiveness that it entails. You're turning away from the spirit and the life of resurrection. And that's something that you can choose to do. But why would you choose to do that? Well, because I want to live my way. Repentance is about saying to God over and over again, God, I want to live your way. And it's about recognizing there are ways in which I have not done that recently. There are ways in which maybe I've never done that. And it's about dealing with that, not by fixing it. Don't try and build up the bridge in that gap place yourself. No, turn to God and simply acknowledge it. God is not asking for you to be better. 
God wants to make you better. But if you're going to sing, Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours, don't just sing it, mean it. And if you mean it, the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to understand your own sin. And you will be horrified. You'll be mortally grieved. And that's good. Because you'll recognize how much you need the grace of God. You'll embrace the grace. Say that, embrace the grace. And you'll become someone who witnesses to others. There is a way out of the hole of hopelessness that is sin. Jesus said, you're going to be witnesses to that. You're going to testify to that. But you can't do it on your own. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He told them in John 15. You need to be clothed in the power from on high. In the garden, they were naked and unashamed because they were clothed in the presence of God. And Jesus was saying, you've been living all these years clothed only in animal skins of your sacrifices. It's time for you to be clothed again in the spirit, in the fire of God's presence. The author of the Gospel of Luke, Paul's ministry partner, the uh, ancient physician Luke, wrote a second volume. It's called the Book of Acts. It's often referred to as the Acts. That's a title that was added later, by the way, as with all of the books of the Bible. It's often referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, sometimes as the Acts of the early church, but also the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And there's really no division in the book in those things because everything that the early church and the apostles are doing, they are doing in and of and by and through the Spirit. And so here also we see the description of Jesus' ascension. He takes them close to the city of Jerusalem, and after having spent 40 days eating and talking and teaching and being with them at various occasions, he reminds them, don't leave this city of Jerusalem until you've received the promise of the Father, which I've been speaking to you about. John baptized with water, just as we're going to do today. But a few days from now, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And they said, well, Lord, now, is this the time that you're going to fix all the problems in the world? Is this when you're finally going to put the bridge through to realizing the kingdom of Israel on earth and throwing off the shackles of these Roman oppressors? And Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know those things. It's not for you to know the times and the dates. But you will receive power. In other words, don't get fixated on your own plans and your own timelines and your own agenda. Focus on what's been promised to you. Focus on what God has called you to focus on. Focus on the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of God's presence to enable you to be my witnesses. And then you'll be ready to go from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. In other words, from city to county to state to nations. There will be no limit on where God will send you, but don't go on your own. You've got to go in the power of God. I want to call out a few things in this section. Jesus opened their minds. Jesus opens our minds to understand the guidance and the meaning of the scripture. But if you don't open the scripture, how can he open your mind? 
Nevertheless, if you open the scripture, but you don't submit to Jesus' guidance, if you're not connected to the body that helps with the teaching, that's the point of sermons. That's the point of PSOM. That's the point of Bible studies and cell groups, to help us to receive the help that the helper is here to give. And so God is calling you and I to wait on him in these days that we are living now. There's such a rush. That's part of the spirit of the world. Go, 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 go. Look at this feed. Look at this. Respond, react, post, share, comment. No time to wait. No time. You've got to make a decision now. Know where you stand. Know what to say. React to everything. God says, wait. In all of your getting, get wisdom. Where does wisdom come from? The word? Where does the word come? The spirit. God has a purpose for you right now. And if you are a whirling dervish spinning around in all directions, you're not going to get it. There are many distractions. There's only one God. Listen for his voice. Enjoy his presence. While he was eating with them, It says that Jesus was talking with them while he was eating with them. In other words, he's experiencing life with them. It's a very intimate thing to share a meal with somebody. It's a wonderful experience of human interaction. Jesus wants to be a part of your daily life. You're eating, you're sleeping, you're driving, you're walking, you're talking. He teaches us about the kingdom of God in our intimate and regular relationship with him. It's not just coming to church on Sunday or just coming to the Bible for five minutes or 50 minutes every day. It's living with him. You see, if you're going to experience his guidance in a dynamic way, you've got to be living with him. When we were in Florida this week, it dawned on us that our plans were not coinciding with the weather forecast, and we didn't know what to do because all of South Florida was under the storm watch, and and that's where our flight was. So, I mean, we got to... No matter how far we fled from that, we have to come back. In the conference, we had a wonderful moment where the speakers were talking about the necessity of quieting ourselves and listening for God. We spent five minutes in silence as this group of thousands of Foursquare pastors and leaders gathered in that place to hear from the Lord. And as we did that, I lifted up my request as God invites us to do, Lord, Show us what to do in this time. It might seem to you a silly thing, but for Hazel and I, this was a very significant time away. And in a time when we've been battered by a lot of things, as many of you have been battered by things, death and disillusionment and the difficulties of COVID and so forth, we had felt that the Lord had promised us a time of refreshing and renewal, but now there was a storm on the horizon and we didn't know where to go or what to do. And so in this moment of silence, listening for the Lord, I was open and ready to receive anything he wanted to say, but I was also raising on the flagpole my request. Will you guide us? Because we don't know where to go tomorrow. And the Lord spoke to me in that moment. Now, I'm going to share that what I heard was an impression. It wasn't an audible voice. It wasn't even definitive terms. It was an impression in my spirit. And some people might be alarmed by that, but I would suggest to you that that's the way intimates converse. If you have a marriage, if you're in a marriage and it's a good marriage, I'll bet you that your spouse communicates with you without words. You know what certain sounds mean. You know what certain expressions mean. Do you think that Jesus is different? He's God. He's a person. Everything about personality is greater and amplified in God. And everything about humanity is exemplified in Christ. Jesus communicates non-verbally also. 
but you're not going to get it if you're not caught up with him. And so what Jesus impressed upon me was, trust me. Your trip is not going to be the trip that you planned, but it will be the trip that I planned for you. And so if you will follow me, I will guide you. And I had the impression that we needed to make some adjustments, but also hold to other plans. And the Lord said, don't rush and don't worry. And so we took that to heart. And you know what? We got all the way to Key West and we enjoyed a wonderful time there. And we were there during a wonderful little window of rain and storm where it was actually very pleasant and lovely. It wasn't exactly what we had anticipated, but it was what God had planned for us. And if it had been exactly what we had anticipated, I wouldn't be talking with you about it now. So God had something in mind for you too, which was that what we experienced in that time could become of value to you. And that's the way God does it. Your life is not the life that you had planned, but Jesus says it is the life that I planned for you if you will follow me. Amen. And that's a better life in the end. So read the Bible every day. Dedicate yourself to doing that. Don't put some big commitment of the mass of, of volume of it, but commit yourself to the regularity of it. If you need advice about where to start reading or where to read next, Ask somebody, ask a friend, ask your Bible group leader, ask me, ask the Lord. But you can't go wrong. If you're reading in the Bible, it's good, okay? Just wherever you want to pick up, but make a plan of it. Be purposeful about it and do it every day. Then ask Jesus to help you understand it. Ask the Holy Spirit's help for you to apply it. Invite Jesus into your daily life of eating and working and living and resting and listen for his voice. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem. We cannot proceed with divine mission without divine empowerment. It's not going to work. But we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit. We may get eager and say, okay, now, Lord, now is the time that you're going to heal me, or now is the time that you're going to save that loved one that I know, or now is the time I'm going to get that promotion, or now I'm going to meet that husband or that wife or have that child. Or, or get that inheritance. Now is the time. And the Lord says, it's not for you to know those things. Trust God's timing. He'll show you what you need to know when you need to know it. We mature by trusting him about times and things he doesn't share with us. He didn't tell me everything that was going to happen over the last few days. He just said, you can trust me if you'll follow me. Amen? Amen. Recognize your need of the Holy Spirit. Prioritize being filled by the Holy Spirit every day. In other words, just like you get dressed every day, look to be dressed in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem without this. Now then hear Jesus saying, don't leave your house without being cloaked in the Holy Spirit. Don't leave your house without having fed on the word and being empowered by it. And ready yourself for that through worship. God, I give you my life, I'm, my heart, I connect to your people. And repentance. Lord, I failed, forgive me. Lord, Bring me to the person that I hurt and have me repent to them. Ask for forgiveness of others. Expect the activity of the Holy Spirit. Obey what God tells you through his word, by his spirit, through his people. And then trust God through it all. In anything that you don't know, you can't understand. When things are happening to you and you say, I just don't understand, remember Job and have the patience that God gave him. Just remember, God is God. No matter what, God is still God. God is still in charge. 
God is the one who will guide you. Jesus said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Baptism is an immersive cleansing. We know it in water. Here the Holy Spirit with fire is purifying people's lives and also providing this liberating flow of energy and power and provision and anointing and covering. This is what's available to you and I in the Holy Spirit. You will receive power, Jesus said. The Greek word is dynamite. The, the root word is dunamis. It is often referenced as being the root word of dynamite. In fact, there was a speaker this week at the conference who spoke about this, and I turned to Hazel and I said, that's in my sermon for Sunday. You often hear about it as the explosive power. It's where we get our word dynamite, dynamite but it's also where we get our word dynamic, which means that it is able to pivot and, and scale according to what is needed and necessary. It's, in other words, active and alive. This kind of power is ability, capacity, force sufficient to produce an effect. In other words, you want transformation? The spirit transforms. The spirit catalyzes. The spirit actualizes, ignites, and activates. The spirit is able to do in, for, and through you everything that God desires. And what God desires is that you and I would be his witnesses. The Greek word martyrs is those who testify legally in a court about what they've observed. Or spectators at an event. They have seen something firsthand and they are aware of this event, this historical happening. Or in the specialized context of the New Testament and the Christian church, those who demonstrate an unswerving dedication to their testimony about the truth of Jesus, even though it may cost them their lives. In other words, they have seen that Jesus was crucified and resurrected, even if they didn't see it with their own eyes. Paul said, I am one of these, even though as if born out of time. Because though Paul was alive when Jesus died on the cross, apparently Paul didn't uh, experience it. Paul experienced Christ the way you and I can, which is that the spirit of Jesus intersected the pathway of Paul's life on the road to Damascus, and Paul became a transformed person, just like you and I have been if we have seen the resurrection of Christ in our own lives. And if you haven't seen that, then let him open your eyes to it right now in such a way that you would never turn away from that truth because that truth is your life. It's what you're living for. He's what you're living for. He is the breath that you breathe. You are the air I breathe. The Spirit of God in you is the purpose of your life. Baptism with the Holy Spirit enables and empowers us to know what to say when people call us to, to explain Christ. Amen. You say, I don't know what to say about the Bible. I don't know what to say about Jesus. The Spirit knows. And as you read the word and as you relate with Jesus and his people, the spirit will give you the words to say in the moment that you need them to say it. He will tell you and remind you of the truth that Jesus has taught. And he will help us hold to the faith. You know that there is no way that any of us, I don't care how dedicated you are, I don't care who you are, you're not going to hold to the faith of Jesus Christ in your own strength. You can't do it. Peter said, oh, I'll never betray you. I'll never betray you. And Jesus said, you're going to betray me three times before the morning dawns. 
And he did. What did Peter learn from that? It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by conviction. It's not by information. I need the infilling, transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Pray that you will not enter into temptation. Pray that you will hold on to the faith. Pray that way and the Spirit will enable you to face anything. Lies told about you, confusion of the world, threats, trials, persecutions. You will hold on and not only hold on, but you will have the passion and the joy of the Lord to live and to die for Jesus Christ and his message of repentance and renewal and resurrection. In the book of Revelation, John describes hearing a loud voice in heaven say, now come the salvation and the power. Now is the time, in other words, now is the time for the dynamic dynamite power of God, the fire of the presence of the Lord, the kingdom of God, the authority of the Christ to come against the accuser so that the accuser can go down in flames, the flames of God's presence, but the people of God can rise up in the light of God's presence. They defeated him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and their witness, which means by the spirit. And they didn't love their lives so much that they were afraid to die because they knew this life is passing away anyway, but the life eternal is the life that is found in Christ. And so as Jesus shared this promise with them and rose into the sky, they took the truth into their worship. Worshiping him in spirit and truth, they were continually in the temple praising God. I mentioned the two men in white, the angels, who said to them, what are you waiting for? And the reality is they had crystallized what they were waiting for. We are waiting for the return of the king and we are ready for the equipping of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, they were in one mind. They knew what they were about. They knew their purpose. Their purpose was to praise the Lord, to worship the Lord, and to witness to the world. And so men and women, young and old, rich and poor, they were gathered together, and that's why they were ready, because they were expecting the promise, and the promise came when the day of Pentecost was being fulfilled. They were ready to welcome the day of the Lord. In the prophetic scriptures, those of you who took uh, minor prophets with me in PSOM, see how it pays off. We studied the day of the Lord many times. It's something that shows up in the book of Joel, for instance, one of the minor prophets, shows up in the book of Amos. It's described in most of the prophets, in fact, to some degree or another, very prominently in some, including, for instance, this prophet of Joel, who was talking about how there was judgment coming on Israel because Israel had given themselves over to the idolatry of the world around them. And so God's presence was coming as a purifying fire. But it was also a promise. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It was a day like that, Pentecost Day, when suddenly there came from heaven a noise like violent rushing wind. It filled the whole house. And then there appeared to them tongues of fire that rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There were all these devout Jews who had come back to Jerusalem from all the places that the Jewish peoples had been dissipated to or, or, or distributed to uh, 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 during the diaspora. And these people had grown up speaking other languages in the cultures in which they were from, but they were here in Jerusalem, and they heard this noise. 
people praising God and describing the great works of God in their own language. And so they said, what's going on here? This is amazing. These people are Galileans, we can tell, but they're speaking our language. And this was, you know, before you could just go to Berlitz or something or buy a book or, or, or get Google Translate. People didn't know these languages outside of those regions. And here they're all hearing them. And some people say, well, it's just they're drunk. They're drunk. People in the world will disregard what happens in the, in the presence of God as, oh, they're just crazy. Or they're just out of it. They're loopy. But stands up and raises his voice and says, listen to me. Listen to my words. These people are not drunk like you think. It's only nine in the morning. This is instead the fulfillment of the prophet Joel. And so here Acts 2 quotes Joel 2. I will pour forth of my spirit on all humanity. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Everybody's included there. No matter your age, no matter your gender, you will receive prophetic capacity in the spirit. And you will prophesy, declare, witness to the reality of God's word. And there will be wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. There was a blood moon not too long ago. You say, oh, those come and they go. Well, they're signs. It's like saying, oh, the hand on the clock spins around. Yeah, it spins around 24 times every day. Yes, but the clock is ticking. So when you see those things, the time is moving forward. What are you waiting for? What are you living for? For the great and glorious day of the Lord to come. In other words, for God to come to the earth the way he came upon that mountain. Yet once more, the Lord said, I will shake not just the earth, but the heavens. Before he came to the mountain, now he comes to all creation. He is coming and everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And everything will be tested by fire. And so everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, who says, here I am, Lord, help me to live by your spirit, will be saved, purified, fired up, empowered. I'm going to ask if those who are serving the communion will bring the elements before us. I have a few concluding words, and then we're going to partake of the table of the Lord. Worship in one spirit and respond to what is available to us today. Fire in the scriptures, as we've talked about, frequently serves to symbolize the presence of God, purification and refinement, and the judgment of God. The judgment is, here I am present. My fire of holiness is with me. Now, what is being put into that fire? What is its essence? What is its worth? The fire will reveal whether it is really worthy and purifiable or simply to be consumed. Fire in the scripture is also part of the prophet call scene. When Moses is called to his prophetic role, it's through the fire in the burning bush. When Abraham, prophet, first man in the Bible to be called a prophet, has his covenant encounter with God, God is a burning torch that moves in front of him in that encounter. Even Jesus has fire as a part of his call. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he glows with radiant light. You and I 
if we are coming under the fire of the Holy Spirit, are being called to be prophetic witnesses to the world. We are being called to worship God's presence. That means to really invite God, be in me. I want to give myself to you. I repent of my sin. I release my life to you. I submit myself to your will and to your people. 